Hello and welcome to the Respectfully podcast. My name's Nikki Pope, your host for this hairdressing conversation. My guest for this episode of Respectfully is Jonathan Andrew, who, along with his wife Tasha Stevens, owns Jonathan Andrew Hair in Ripley, Surrey, which they launched late last year. Jonathan also works with many celebrity clients and he is the Fudge Professional Global Brand Ambassador. We'll be talking about what it's like to have a portfolio career and where Jonathan sees the industry going at the moment. Enjoy. So hello and welcome Jonathan Andrew, celebrity stylist, salon owner, industry commentator, global brand ambassador. How would you describe yourself? Um, well, firstly, thank you for having me. I'm very honoured to, to to be back on. Um, I, I think you 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 got it pretty much there. I've got many hats on, um, which is quite frantic at times. But I don't think I'd have it on in any other way. So I think you've you've uh, you've really got it there. Now, I often ask people this at parties: Do you tell people what you do for a living? Um, well, it's funny actually because. I suppose people probably won't think this of me because I, I I am quite social. Um, but it's one of those things now that obviously the way work is and with everything that's been going on, the only time I'm ever really at a party or at an event now is something to do with work oh, and or <laughs> hair. So yeah. I've kind of avoided that question. Um, but I still meet a few people. I, I was at an event uh, last year and... Um, I met a few people who then found out I was a hairdresser and, and I uh, wasn't drinking at the time. I was on like a detox and they were all very drunk. So it made it 10 times worse because <laughs> I had to do full consultations in the middle of a dressing room and it was not what I wanted to be doing. I end up doing consultations and I'm not even a hairdresser, <laughs> just the fact that they yeah. think I know people. So you have you have a young family, you own a salon, you have lots of celebrity friends and clients and you're also very connected with the industry. So I'm going to start with the fame and fortune, and then we'll come on to the rest of it. <laughs> so, Lovely. So how did you become so well connected? Where you, You've been hairdressing a long time, and I know you have worked in salons. But how, So where did all the celebrity, the TV things that I know you do, looking after people, where did that come from? Um, so it's an interesting one. So <clears throat> I worked in, in salons and, and the industry for most of of my career I worked with my my family first and 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 to be fair I've only ever really worked with family um and it wasn't until uh me and my wife Tasha we moved from London and we we just had our little girl and we wanted to get a bit more space and a bit more greenery so we moved out of London and we moved to Surrey yeah and Surrey has got a lot of kind of like footballers and, and celebrities that live in the area um and really sort of luckily um I'd met Jamie Redknapp a couple of times um and I said to to Tash Tash has got this weird thing that she says if I say it's going to happen at some point it does and I'm a big manifesting person that uh, like you mentioned before I'm the global brand ambassador for Fudge the first day that I went in I said to Tash the night before I'm going to become the global ambassador and yeah. she was like you've never even met them <laughs> and I just have this thing that if you say it and you you really put the work somewhere in. And um, we'd moved out and I said to Tash, in six months, I'm going to do Jamie's hair and I'm going to get League of Their Own. Yeah. And again, she said, you've never even met him. You won't know what he looked like. And there was just a couple of times I'd met him. And at one point he followed me on Instagram and I think he saw 
what I do and the kind of hair that I do and the, the sort of level that I was. And I went and cut his hair and I sort of tweaked it a little bit and he really liked it. And I went back a couple of days and I styled it and he got photographed and he texted me the next day and he said, it was, I loved my hair. I really loved how it looked. Yeah. And I actually knew Jamie's agent for, for many years. Um, and she had messaged me and said, look, I've been talking to Jamie. He really likes what you do with his hair. Uh, if only you did makeup. Yeah. Um, which, you know, as most hairdressers at, at this stage have been around it f- for many years. Um, and the sort of men's grooming side of it for that was something that I was really interested in. Um, and at the time, I'd sort of been dabbling a bit and learning a little bit. Yeah. Um, and my assistant, as luck would have it, um, at the time was a makeup artist training to be a hairdresser. Right. Um, so I basically called her and I was like, look. Teach me quick. I need to do this. Yeah. Um, and I, I work a lot with a lot of model agencies for, for a lot of their models to kind of make sure they don't go on mm. set and, and get their hair ruined for their book. So I just got everyone in over a week and she taught me men's makeup. Um, and I sort of sat on YouTube and put it on myself yeah. and took it off and put it on myself. And um, I called the agent back and I was like, I do makeup. And she was <laughs> like, great, you've got a TV commercial next week. Brilliant. And it was just right in the deep end. And then... Where it sort of, I'd done a few bits and pieces, but where it really sort of took off, uh, and always what I'm really grateful to, to Jamie for is that he, he always sort of champions me and puts me mm. forward and puts me in touch with people. But um, during COVID, um, I was doing everything digitally for yeah. Fudge at home and, and, and sort of uh, tutorials and videos and things like that. And then they introduced that TV production was one of the only things that could continue yeah. to go on yeah while well, we were all yeah. under restrictions so yeah. Much, yeah during the restrictions is that tv could continue and um no one's had haircuts so yeah. the fact that i could do men's makeup yeah but was more a hairdresser than anything else yeah it became a way that i could go on set do the makeup but everyone would get a haircut then yeah and it wasn't breaking any rules um so i i went on the the first league of their own road trip um, and loved it and I got a lot of connections and I ended up doing Top Gear after that for, for a, a couple of episodes and um, it's just kind of really grown yeah. from that into that world. And the Made in Chelsea guys and, yeah. and lots of people. So, But men's hairdressing, so where's that come from? Because I googled you because yeah. I, I have met you, I do know who you are but I yes. thought I'll just google to see what comes up. So apart from your Instagram which comes up top, well done. Thank you. You're very good at your social media. Um, it's it describes you as a men's hairdresser in the sort of second entry. Do you consider yourself to be just a men? I know you do do other hair because you look after people like Anne yeah. Marie at times. But what do you? Where's the men's hairdressing come from? Was it something that you set out to do? Not necessarily. Um, it's something that I've always been really interested in, and I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a men's hairdresser. I think um, I gained a lot more traction uh, quicker. For, yeah. for men's hairdressing and and I think the thing was is that when I was sort of starting out in my career of trying to make my way in the industry uh men's collections and men's shoots were often cheaper than women's because you didn't have like you can't cut it and you can't yeah. color it and you yeah. can't do all so those things because it was it was more flexible so I found the easier way into like the model agency side of things and helping people out because men needed the haircut more uh everything was short and skin fades were in and all of that sort of thing so 
I could I could get a rapport easily with agencies and people that would allow me to sort of do competitions and shows and collections on a grander scale. Right. From potentially an, uh, a place where I didn't really warrant that. You know, I wasn't a big global hair icon and I wouldn't yeah. necessarily say I am now. But, um, you know, I, I, there was that stage of it where, you know, we, we I remember uh, with Jamie Stevens that we were there at the time. We were going and doing hair shows and you know we were turning up with like 16 guys yeah and doing these massive events yeah on you know no budget because you know we were giving out uh, you know i, I did a, uh, what i did with the agencies was i would say look i'll cut all your models hair for free but when i call you and i've got a show they do it for me for free and yeah and, and for a lot of these guys that were particularly younger models and new faces it really helps because mm. they haven't broke through they're not making money yet mm there's an element of they kind of need to be within the kind of fashion sphere, I suppose, of having the right hair and the right look and, and, and that instruction and guidance that it worked out really well. And, and I think that's what got me noticed a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I sort of, one of the things I did was I sort of developed a way early on of sort of a, a tailor made approach to men's hair of kind of, I was always fascinated by Savile Row and, Mm. Uh, suits and things like that and, and, and the way that they're cut to fit a shape and I, yeah. I thought hairdressing had so many similarities in that um, and, and that was something that I really wanted to do and, and I think without that all of the other things wouldn't have happened because when I finally got you know I was talking to Tash about this the other day you know I look back at points of my life and I'm like, why, you know, and, and I can see myself saying, oh, I should be bigger and I should be this and I should be traveling and I should be doing this and I should be doing all of these things. And actually now in, in retrospect, when I look back, all of those things were to get me to a point that when I finally got the chance to do the things that I wanted to do, I was so educated in all of the things that, that were required yeah, for it. Yeah, so quite sort of rounded yeah. um, experience, I suppose, that you bring to bear. So now bringing you up to more recent times, you now have your own salon yep. with Tasha, yep. your wife, yep, we do. who is also a hairdresser colorist. Yes, um, we, we dovetail quite well. Yeah. So now, so how does this work? So you are really the, uh, the best example of a portfolio career because you're doing very well on the, the scene, the session scene, if you like, looking after clients in, in, in their places of work. I know you're very engaged with the industry. You're, you're repping a brand and now running the salon. Your head must be spinning. <laughs> uh, y- yes. I mean, the, the salon uh, is, is an interesting one. I'm super lucky. Tash, you know, is amazing and, and incredible at what she does and, and, and knows that sort of running the salon side of it, that even when we, we, we've sort of done this, there was that kind of thing of, the, you know, I'd come in and take the sort of marketing aspect of it, of kind of boosting all of that, and she makes sure that I don't spend all the money and, and that we still have a roof. Yeah. Um, the, the thing for me is is that, you know, I'm very um, conscious of obviously a lot of the things that we do, but I remember sort of parts of my life where, you know, I just think back, especially when I was younger, you know, my mum was a single parent, you know, she worked nonstop, you know, we didn't really have much. Um, and obviously having a family, I'm very conscious of one being there like she was for me, but also that if we've got lots of different strings, if one falls or one breaks, 
everything's going to be okay and and you know okay so it's spreading the risk ab- absolutely almost, yeah. yeah you know yeah. And, and it's you know, I, you know i suppose if you had like a stockbroker and they diversify their portfolio you know it's yeah. the same thing is that there's lots of things that i still want to do um but definitely for this this the salon thing was was kind of a no-brainer you know like i said tasha is a phenomenally talented hairdresser and colorist um so it fits in with the brand that I'm trying to, to create. Yeah. But also from a business perspective, she's a really intelligent uh, businesswoman and, and understands that side of it. And I was looking at units um, myself because I thought, you know, if if I do sort of grow the brand a little bit bigger, I think that salon heritage is really important. Um, and I just, I couldn't do it without her. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where the, the sort of tricky situation came in is that, you know, she was obviously working with Jamie and working with her family and realistically to start from scratch, I can't be there yeah. to start yeah. from scratch. And I'm in the salon most days and I'm there a lot at the moment when I'm not away working. Mm-hmm. Um, but I needed that opportunity to kind of be there and, and be a part of it, but have someone who kind of had my back yeah. that I could have. So theirs. was it a going concern that you acquired or have you started the salon from scratch so it it kind of um that it's sort of we've started sort of our salon from scratch but um jamie uh has got a a number of salons and 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 is focusing on the the sort of kensington one um and i just don't think he could be there enough and sort of split himself so he he, he, he'd already opened had the salon yeah so he's so tash and jay tash was running the salon that jamie had and it had been there for years uh and and jamie was great because i used to go in and do a couple of clients there now and then um when i needed to in the area and it's yeah. like six minutes from our house so yeah. um so we sort of it spoke to jamie sense. yeah and we, we had a chat and 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 again it just made sense because again i didn't have to start from scratch so we just went in and said look there's a salon here we will buy that from jamie yeah. you know it takes some stress off of his plate that he can focus yeah. on the salon that that you know we can then have a little bit of a base and obviously Tasha's pregnant so well, I was going to say <coughs> so picture the scene so Tasha's pregnant looking after Lily also who's about four five now five yeah. now um trying to get this business sort of growing and and so on and you're um off doing all the exciting stuff how does that conversation go um, do, do you have to work at, at making sure that you do shoulder salon burden or yes <laughs> yes I think the, the the salon side of things it's been great because you know like I said we we can dovetail really well in that we both have aspects to what we do that I think suit that scenario very well. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I always see in, especially in salons when it's a partnership or it's a duo, it tends to always be two creatives mm. who have a real passion about a creative vision Yeah. Um, that just end up arguing about where that vision's going to go. And it's quite rare that you get people mm. who are on the same page. And I think where I've been really fortunate, particularly with Fudge, is I've been able to sort of work so closely with marketing teams and right. and the creative yeah. aspect of it that I understand that thing. So it's not so much that it's ever an argument, it's that I can always explain what we're trying to do and give yeah. the reason why we're doing it. I'm not just saying, we should try this today. Yeah, because I've seen other people do it. And uh, yeah, yeah and, and we kind of don't really have that. So that's where it's good from, from Tasha's perspective that she sort of understands where we're going and we agree on a lot of things. And and to be honest, we met at work. You know, we've yeah. always ever always worked together um apart from sort of the last five years so that was probably the biggest thing was actually going back to working together um but yeah i mean there's definitely the salon side of it it's um 
it's not good when you know I, sort of last year um obviously the restrictions of covid had lifted and i'd spent two years of sort of working in the tv world that we only really filmed in the uk or mm. ireland was probably the furthest yeah. we went so that got lifted so all the tv shows were like hey let's go to vietnam yeah and uh, that was not that was not a fun that wasn't good um, yeah it didn't go down well and then you know this year is is looking is looking quite looking busy um, I've, wow. I've had to turn down a couple of very big jobs uh well, around the baby coming let's broaden it out a little bit so industry wise there's a fascination now with people having you know portfolio careers actually it's not just hairdressing you can see it in lots of places do you and then we've all been bruised massively by the covid pandemic what would you say to somebody who thinks about diversifying do you think it's do you think you should people should look to do that to like if you're freelancing should you be looking to get something i don't know that's a bit more anchored somewhere to go with it or ha what's your sort of take on it um i'm this is funnily enough it's a question that's something i'm really sort of passionate about um and it's what i've approached the salon from an owner's perspective as uh with tash because i think one of the biggest problems that we face um, right now, uh, and it sort of takes me back to when we had this sort of big crash in, in 2008, um, that sort of question of uh, finance and the future and, and people's money. And the big thing that I always saw was hairdressing for many years is a necessity. And people yeah. have to get their hair done because they look good. Covid's gave us a slightly different perspective on that because people are working from home a lot more. Yeah, and I think that has sort of coaxed people to be a bit more socially anxious about coming out more yeah, and going yeah, out definitely. more and sort of getting yeah. back into that that mm -hmm. scenario. So things like that don't play a precedent. Um, and oftentimes I used to hear a lot of people saying, "Yeah, but people always need a haircut," mm. which is very true. People always will need their haircut, but they don't always have to have it cut by you. No. And I think where that becomes a, a scenario is that it's very easy to get complacent being a hairdresser. Um, <clears throat> there's going to be so many more options and opportunities out there. And in a salon environment, you have to make sure that obviously the hair's good. It's like restaurants. There's lots of places that do amazing food, but some of them just do different experiences. And that's what people will start to look at where they spend that money. And from a freelance perspective, I think the same thing is true, is that everyone will start cutting prices, everyone will start trying to get the jobs and, and, and sort of fighting their way in. And I think what you need to do is, is sort of focus on making sure that you've got the basis of why they hire you, you know, yeah. be a good person. Like yeah. it's, it, the, if anyone ever wants any advice, is just be nice, because I've seen so many people who use that opportunity of, I am rock solid here nothing's yeah. going to change yeah and it just takes one producer it takes one thing for that attitude yeah, to, change. to change yeah um and i think more so from what i've always done and, and, and what i've done particularly over the last few years is is again is having multiple ways of earning a living which look is not for everyone mm. and it is the most stressful thing at times when your phone's going and someone's like, I need a haircut in London on Wednesday. And you're like, but I've got to be in some, you know, the other day was an example. I had to go into the salon, do two clients, 
drive into London, do a client, drive back from London to go to someone else's house, do a client. And it was like, I sort of started all day. It was the end of the night. And then when I got to the other client's house, he's like, oh, my physio's coming. Would you cut his hair? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's elements of that, which is all well and good and it's great. But when it's that every day, yeah. it can become a little bit difficult that you sort of feel like you're trying to see, just carry on pushing through. And definitely, uh, I'd say last year, we worked out. I took, <laughs> I took a week off between Christmas and New Year, and I got a text on Boxing Day morning. Yeah. Of, Could you come and cut my hair? Oh gosh. And um, uh, you know, when you put yourself into that world, yeah, life's not normal yeah. because they don't live lo- normal lives. No. So you have to be conscious of that. And I think you know, uh, I sort of looked at it, and then when I looked back, I said, I actually had, I didn't have, a, I had a week off in June last year. Yeah. And I don't think I had more than two days off in a row yeah. till Christmas Day. It's not for it. I think in any industry, freelancing is a different mindset. And Absolutely. It's, it's not easy. It's, no. It is different. And the thing is, from what, what we're trying to do with the salon, is that I think people should be given that opportunity to do those things. And I am so inclusive. I, whatever it is you want to do for your career, we will support in whatever yeah. way. If you want to be employed fine you know if we've got space for you and you can can do the job as that then we're all for supportive but for me personally I want people like me because I've spent my life in salons and I've seen what it's where it's going and what's happening and Mm. and and I worry a lot for the future of hair salons and I might be out of turn in saying that and I don't want to offend anyone by what I'm saying but Times are changing quicker than they ever have. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you look back to the 80s and the mobile phone yeah. changed hairdressing because yeah. mobile hairdressing became a thing. Yeah. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. We're looking at it from a freelance, self-employed perspective. And I think mm. there's still people who don't really see self-employed as being anything different than employed other than you but save you, on PAY. Yeah, you keep all the money for yourself. Um, yeah. But for me, I just thought, I'd be so hypocritical to do all of these things and travel and do mm. shows and shoots and work with brands and all of that thing and then come into a salon and go, by the way, you can't do any of this because you've got to work on Tuesday. Yeah, I so think definitely we have to... It is, it's as big a change as almost the Industrial Revolution was. Absolutely. The technological revolution has, has been absolutely massive. So with, with this sort of evolution of the way salons operate and the way the industry needs to operate, brings me to a question of you know, how together the industry is or isn't. So my experience of the industry, we've had these wonderful sort of, you know, the fellowship, we've got lots of associations, we have hairdressing council, we have hair and beauty charity. So we do pull together at times. I think COVID was very challenging. And again, out of that came a lot more cohesion eventually with British Beauty Council and other bodies sort of saying, come on, we've actually got to sort of work together on this. But generally, it's still, I think in some areas, quite frustratingly fragmented. Yeah. Now, men's hairdressing is an obvious example. Well, how do you feel about this? Men's hairdressing, men's, the prices that people can charge, you've got sort of the barbering at one end and they're going up to sort of grooming and, and men's hairdressing, which is always charged less than women's hairdressing. Yeah. But there's no cohesion. The industry doesn't seem to be sort of pulling together and say, come on, we need to change this. Where do you sit on that? <clears throat> I think it's, it's an interesting one because... You know, I think realistically what I've always um, factored into that and, you know, people are probably going, how do you charge that for haircuts with me? But the way that I've always looked at it is 
is based on time and I, and I think barbers in particular are some of the most talented exceptional haircutters that, that you would get for men's hair you know it's their yeah. specialty and it's what they do <clears throat> but time is that it's quicker because they have a higher volume and a higher yeah. turnover so that is what justifies the, the price that they charge I think in a salon environment again it becomes time if you're charging more is that you're spending more time and you're offering a different perspective on it which is what I've always tried to do is that I've always wanted to make people feel and see results that are different to what they would normally expect yeah um the sort of difference between men's and women's hair um I think is is going to be battled for many years um you know because it's the same thing of saying why are kids haircuts yeah. half price yeah because it's harder to cut a kids hair yeah. than it is an adult's hair <laughs> who wants to cut the kids um, hair <laughs> so th- there's there's always that side of it and i think the problem that that comes with it is i think even even to take the most inclusive and forward-thinking view on it and saying we are gender neutral and we don't charge anyone any different price is that ultimately again you're going to end up being in a void where you have someone who's got the thickest, longest hair in the world and someone who's got the shortest yeah. hair in the world. The time scale, where do you spend time? Because realistically, at some point, someone's getting a lot of value for money and someone isn't. Yeah. Because one's much quicker than it is to do yeah. the other one. Yeah. So I think the structure of that is looking at it from a perspective of seeing a way that that having that cohesion with people in that you can find a way to maybe tailor make an approach towards prices. But... I always, especially now, would, you know, advise caution um, because, again, especially I think so many salons and, and salon owners would agree with me. And at that point in time that this happened, it wasn't necessarily something that we were dealing with. But I know so many people with the, the PPE charge and the COVID yeah. surcharge losing their mind yeah. over it yeah. because they're looking at it as I'm coming here to be safe. Why have I got to pay you to make me safe? And, yeah, yeah. and I think especially now with the way things are going with, you know, rising energy costs and, 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 and problems for businesses, the last thing you want to do is give clients any more reason to be saying, I, do, I just don't understand this now. Why have yeah. I got to pay more because my hair's, you know, a little bit longer and yeah. it's that age old thing of, you do dry cuts and can I just trim the ends yeah because people are trying to save money any way that's possible and I think we have to be very mindful of that but also be from a position of that you know I'm I'm very me and Tash have arguments about this all the time (laughs) because we're currently going through a refurb and I'll tell this story because I'm sure a lot of people will will relate yeah so we're trying to refurb the salon mm-hmm. and our salon is a grade two listed building. So it poses a lot of challenges. What I can and can't change the, to the color of what the beams can be. And there's so many rules and regulations that allow this. But obviously old buildings are just timber frames with bricks around it. So they're not the best insulated. No. And... Uh, realistically the floor is almost just you know just seeps water through so you can end up with problems with damp so we have to renovate a room uh that that is our backwash area and 
we've been going through all of this and we've been trying to do as much as we can and I've, I've sort of changed a lot of the salon as it is and sort of tried to elevate it and bring a little bit more style to it and we're going through all these things and we're sort of doing it in stages because again we've not got all the money to just run out and, and do all this so we've sort of said we're going to focus on the backwash area because we want to make that experiential uh, time yeah. for people there nice and relaxing so we get the thing and we're going through all the emails the other day and we see that this this reviews came in and everything's really good but there's like a, there's a, an environment part of it that's a yeah. three star review yeah. and the review starts with something like I know they're going through a refurb and I know they're trying to change everything and I know the backwash chairs are going but they're just really uncomfortable and I've got some water on my face Right. Now, for me, I understand mm. that perspective, but mm. at the same time, in the world that we're in right now, like it's, it is, you could see from any perspective of what we're trying to do yeah. and, and the things that we're trying to do and how much pressure that brings to people. And, and I think sometimes those little comments don't realise the impact that it has because yeah. I'm still, it was three weeks ago. Yeah. I'm and still thinking still about it every day. It, yeah. And I'm upset that someone's felt the experience required that but at the same time i know every single person that stood behind that chair is delivering all they can mm. i know that tash seven months pregnant is doing everything that she can i'm spending all of the time off that i have in the salon trying to renovate it myself yeah. and trying to do things like that and i think sometimes people don't see that side of it no. and i think sort of from a, a salon owner perspective you know the same thing because there's that, but also there's elements that I had it with staff. And mm. I, I, I think sometimes people become a little bit uh, blinkered with their vision to see what they're doing because, mm. again, they just expect it to happen. Like, I turn up, this is supposed yeah. to be here. Yeah. You know, and, and they don't think, oh, actually, maybe they did spend, you know, all of the, you know, yeah. I was trying to yeah. do, build a section. I had worked seven days a week for six weeks. Yeah. I had one day off, and my one day off, I spent in the salon trying yeah. to make it nice. Yeah. And then I came in the next day, and they were like, "Where am I going to put my hair dryer?" Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> put it anywhere. You, I will I not say on this yeah. podcast where I would have suggested first, but you know, there's there's things like that that I think we just need to kind of be a bit more mindful for, especially in these times, because it's challenging for everyone. Well, I think it is, and I think you know, as a as an employer, you know, at the end of the day. Providing people with employment, with jobs, you know, if we weren't doing this and prepared to take on the responsibility and and trying to build a nice salon and keep the clients coming in and keep the prices up and you know, absolutely, absolutely, and and I think the thing is that the the costs are coming more and more, and you know, I've just been learning the finer details of VAT, yeah, uh, in, in in a sort yes. of salon environment because you know from a freelance perspective you just add it on and it's another company and, and you kind yeah. of you just end up becoming just holding the money for yeah. people but when you've got a salon and you have to start eating that yeah. and then the government's advice is just put your prices up to include yeah. it and you're like no i think pricing is so difficult again in any industry but it is it is very difficult in hairdressing and reflect and the vat situation is obviously so contentious and clients wouldn't even get that no the, absolutely the, where there's vat on there how do you, um, I don't know if this is a naughty question, how do you price being session work, you know, private clients? Is it is that on time or do you, is it 
a set fee for coming to the house or going to wherever? Do you have to factor in the travel time? How do you do that? So I, I tend to factor in travel time um, and, and, and work out how long I'm going to be away. Yeah. Um, because even more so now, there is an actual finite number on that that experience yeah. um because realistically having a salon and having clients taking time out of that loses me the opportunity yeah. to do those people but i'm very conscious also of that a lot of the people that i go and do help build the brand so yeah. there is a, a sort of basis that you work towards but i i know a lot of people who charge a lot more than i do on house visits and session and shows but realistically for me I would rather work. I am a little bit of a workaholic, but I'd rather have the work than yeah. work less and charge what I'm worth. You yeah. know, in, in inverted so it's not. So you that. you couldn't say, well, it's always you know x number of pounds for for this. Like it sort of slightly depends on what you depends feel on it the job and, and and the yeah. time and and most of it's always the same. You know, usually uh it, it, it again it depends on the job and a lot of the jobs that i do are like industry standard for that job of right. like tv where it's like a half i can't even remember what it is but they'll have a half day rate and a and a full day rate and all of those sort of things whereas yeah. i've always just been super conscious of of what i charge and i put myself out for because again like i was saying people have got so much more choice now and i i always try and keep myself at what I feel is value for money for yeah. the, the service that Good. I deliver, and, and and until someone corrects me on that, I don't see any That's reason why do. why I wouldn't. And <clears> again, you know, looking at the Jonathan Andrew Instagram and social media, you it's it's clear what your sort of workload is. You've got a mix. You've got family in there. You've got salon in there. You've got your your clients your more familiar clients how do you handle the fame side of it do you is it do you say to them can we do a picture for social media if, if i remember a hairdresser saying to me once you know he always used to say right we either do this privately and you pay for whack or we both get something out of this and we do a bit of promo on it do you have those conversations with people or is it um sometimes um but i have to say that you know realistically one thing that i was tough at the start of Instagram um, is that, you know, to grow it, you had famous people on Instagram and you would get a picture with them and then they wouldn't pay for it. Yeah. And unfortunately, the way the world is now, I'm just not in a position to do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm very conscious of, I know how I'm not, because I've spent a lot of time on set or behind the scenes I see that side of it happening where mm -hmm. people come up and go oh my god can I get a picture and oh would you mm. sign this for me and you do all that sort of stuff and you obviously see how good the guys are but you obviously see the toll that that can take sometimes mm. of it's just you know I've been places and it's relentless yeah, yeah. and I know the benefit that those things can have um, you know uh, footballers are, are probably a, a big sign of that because the fan base that they have is just astronomical. When you put yeah. something up that's got, uh, you know, like a current Premier League footballer in and literally within 20 minutes your picture's been taken and it's, you know, I remember and, going, yeah. I remember doing something and going on like, you know, the popular page of a hashtag. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, there was 15 pictures and it was nine of the pictures was the one that I'd put up, but differently, really? you know, it was like fan update that and I love him and all of those sort yeah, of things. Yeah. So that aspect of it is where it's important, but... For me, I feel that sort of where I'm at now and the work that I get to do, 
I think a lot of that comes down to is that I'm just not really one of those people that's like, could you please get a photo? Mm. And the only way I ever usually ask is if I've got a creative idea that's fun. Because the whole, like, can we just get a picture, I think gets lost a little bit. And what I always try to do, especially with my social media, is to keep that consistency. I always want to be in the picture. And it's not for an ego thing. It's just that I think we can make it fun. Yeah. And, you know, I've actually just started using reels quite a lot. And Mm. I'm devastated that I haven't used it sooner because... I mean, one, I still can't understand this algorithm, but some of them... <laughs> yeah, well, you can. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the you know, the algorithm. Insa- you know, I put a video <laughs> up there that, you know, and what it always is, I, I put a video up um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was with Joel Dommett, and we did this, like, quick change, like, gown video yeah. thing, and it was all of his looks from The Masked Singer. So I yeah. did Joel for the season that's on now of The Masked Singer. Um, and I sort of said to him, look, like, all the girls that are on this show, you've got Davina, you've got Rita, they are going to do something different every night. They're going yeah. to have a different hairstyle because yeah. that's TV. You know, yeah. Britain's Got Talent, you're looking at it. And yeah. I was like, you've got good hair. We're going to give you a different look every night. Yeah. So what we did was we got really creative and we tried a different look on his hair every night. Yeah. So we did this sort of video of all these quick changes I was blown away by it. It was yeah. the coolest video I've ever seen. I was like, I'm yeah. so excited for this. This is going to go mad. People yeah. are going to lose their minds. Yeah. No, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> it got like it, it got like 4,000 views. And I was like, I expect so much more. So then a week later, mm-hmm. I did, you know, everyone does those like roundups of the year. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I did my roundup of the year. 135,000. Yeah. And I was like, that was just pictures. I know. Just pictures. No... And I'm just like, this just doesn't make any sense. My most successful reel so far is um, of a, uh, it's a clip of them making grips, you know, like hair grips, curvy grips. Oh my God, I saw that uh, the other day. I've had 85,000 views of that. This is something, somebody put one up and said, I've been watching this for two hours now. I can't oh. do this. You t- it's madness. It it's blows my mind. But okay. I think, you know, that, that whole side of it is, I think if you approach it from a creative perspective, and that's what I always try and do is that at the very least there's, uh, there's something funny about it you know we yeah. did one um, the other day that I mentioned to you before that I've got a podcast coming out and we filmed the trailer for it Yeah. and we did the hot we did it in the salon and it's like I'm doing my own hair and stuff and you know it just kind of gives it a uh, a little twist that I think keeps it relevant to the industry but yeah. just makes it fun and I think if you can do that it keeps the element of your social media being yeah. about you well, it's more authentic and it's it i mean that's that's the good side of social media it ought to be absolutely it should be that the real stuff really gets there give us a quick trailer for your podcast Jonathan uh, andrew presenting yes, yes uh so you've got a podcast coming out uh soon with global um that is very much about about hair it's uh, a podcast based on the relationship between a, a client and a hairdresser but it's called This Is Not What I Asked For, and it is us looking through a celebrity's hair history yeah. and talking about the, the, uh, good the, the, bad bad, the, the good, the bad, and all the life that's been in between. So there's there's definitely been some some funny episodes and some hilarious pictures, I have to say. Some of them, are, uh, they did not want them to see, but... You know, it's 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 an interest. It's another side of it. It's just something. So is it filmed as well? Are you do, recording yeah. it sound, but visual? Obviously all, for the it's hair. all filmed uh, and all sound. We've got an amazing lineup of guests. Um, uh, mainly sort of sport and comedy at the moment, um, and you know some actors uh, are sort of coming in and 
we're looking at the other people we're getting in. I've basically said Ryan Reynolds is yeah. the one that we're going to get. That's the one. You're manifesting. Ryan Reynolds you're and Margot Robbie. <laughs> those are the two that we're going to get. So when we come back, and I've, I've done it, we'll see. We'll but see. That, that's 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 the goal. That's so I'm, it's been amazing. I'm, I'm really excited about oh, it because I just love this medium. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's nearly time to wrap up. Let me ask you, I've got the three questions. They're all connected. Mm-hmm. So from this point forward, what's your dream for your business, for your work? Um, for the business, um is obviously to grow it um you know currently and uh you know i don't think tash would mind me saying this but the other avenues of work that i have uh, uh on the freelance side and the, and the sort of traveling around um is what effectively pays me my wages so i'm actually the only person who's not taking any money from the salon i don't get right. paid from the actual bricks and mortar salon um so if we could grow it to a point where that could paid. be yeah that would be <laughs> nice um but realistically, you know, I think from a team perspective, you know, the guys that are in there, I love and I want to see them get the opportunities to become the hairdressers that they want to be. Yeah. Um, and, and more so that I think we both want to be uh, bosses or employers or whatever you want to call it um, that can facilitate that. And I don't want to feel that people ever have any restrictions on what they can and can't do within the industry, because ultimately, as I have seen and, and, and I think is the way is that you know putting restrictions on people in today's world they will just find a way out yeah. as quick as possible and you want to kind of pay forward absolutely your own experience. absolutely for the industry broadly where what would you hope the hairdressing industry in the uk moves forward to do i mean i think the industry is you know has been amazing to me and i think it is an amazing um place i think the way that it's developed and changed over the years, especially with places like electric space and things like that, opening this sort of broader scale of people having more flexibility in what they do. Um, I fought for the last four years of trying to maintain a place within the industry as a freelancer when for so long it was like, oh God, you know, you're the freelancers are session stylists and they don't work in salons. And, no. and I just, I just don't agree with that. I think that, at the end of the day, we all just cut hair. And right. I think it gets taken so seriously sometimes that ultimately what we are doing is just trying to make someone else's day a little bit better. And I think if we can get back to a perspective where that is the view that we take and that is what we try and do, we'll all be much better off for it because realistically, it doesn't matter if you're a freelancer or you want to spend your life employed. That is your choice and that is the life you want to live. And and realistically, there's a whole industry out there of things that you can do. And, and, you know, if you look at my Instagram, you will see the different sides of it. Because I think I spent so many times with people saying, oh, you can't do that because you work in the salon. And you can't do that because you do this. And you can't. Life's there for the taking. And I think if you actually go and, and decide on the things that you want to do and make that commitment, then you can do it. And I think as an industry, we need to be accepting of that because the way that it worked doesn't work anymore no, and that's not where pushing we're back, at pushing back it's like pushing mud back up the hill and then just let's bring it back personally for you and the family what, what's your well dream? i mean we're expecting our second child um so i'm just hoping that uh he he's a little boy um oh. is happy and healthy and you know tash is an absolute trooper so she will will do all she needs to do so i just want to make sure that they're all all right and 
you know, it's funny because Tash, you know, six months ago was worried about maternity leave and now she's like how quick do you think I could go back to work <laughs> so you know I just hope that she, you know she she has a, a quick recovery and gets back to work um no I I think you know uh, for us as a family you know we're we're all on this journey together and we're so lucky Lily is the funniest little kid in the world um hopefully she doesn't bully her brother um but you know that that we can sort of just keep moving forward with what we're doing and and sort of keep you know the way that we've been going and the way that we've been transitioning things on the same flow because i think we've got a really nice uh unit and an understanding and and i think the great thing for me is that you know tash understands this industry and she knows what is required for us to be able to do the things that we want to do so she's super supportive of that she might have an issue with some of it. Like I had to go home and tell her the other day that the I got offered a, a job that was like six weeks in a very, very beautiful country. And, and she was like, that's not happening. And I was like, I know it's not happening. I'm not going. I was just she telling say to you, you. Did you manifest that, Jonathan? Yes. Did you, were I mean, you hoping for that? I mean, there's, quest, there's <laughs> questions, things now. But, you know, we're, we're, we're all good. And, and I think realistically, we've got the right momentum moving forward. And the thing I love about Tash is that she's had an opportunity now where she's uh she's doing more with within the business and, and and feeling like she's running it she's moaning that it's just my name but i keep telling her it's my first name and her last name and that's where the connection <laughs> is um but she's seeing that side of it and and we were sitting in the car yesterday and you know she's not long till we're having a baby and she's like i've had this other idea for another thing that we could do i think we could set this thing up yeah. and i'm like I love this, but just, you shouldn't be, like, calm down. Like, we're all right. But once you get your own business, it is like having another child. Anyway, it never goes away. But, well, brilliant. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Good luck. I'm sure you don't need it. Thank you so much for having me. You have what you wish for. I know, I know. I'm going to manifest a day off. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan Andrews. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Jonathan for joining me. That was such an interesting conversation. I'm sure you all found plenty in there to muse on. If you like what you listen to, then don't forget to visit Respectfully on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, as there are many conversations with people over the past two or three years. There's sure to be something in there for you. Until next time, goodbye. (laughs) 